0: It's Advent. It's the time that the Christian church has for now a couple of thousand years celebrated the coming of Jesus, not simply his birth. That's one event that's part of this larger reality of his coming into our world. And the question that the church has always asked during this season is, why? Why did Jesus come? A whole lot of ways to answer that question This week I've been reflecting on a new way to answer that question, a a question that isn't new to the Christian church, but it's not something that I've always thought of as an emphasis of this season. But as I've reflected this week on the music that we use to celebrate Christmas and the Advent season, I'm struck by how a lot of that music answers the question this way. Jesus came as a divine warrior to fight a battle with significance for the whole universe. Um, And so I've been reflecting during the week on songs that capture that theme. And uh, so as we walk through this morning's message, we'll sort of keep a list, and and I'll ask you to sort of tune your ear um, in the coming days and weeks for Christmas music that, that mentions this theme of Jesus as a divine warrior we're going to sing about it later after our um, sermon we'll be singing o come o come emmanuel and as we do that we'll uh we'll get to verse three and we'll be singing about the rod of jesse Um, rod ancient word for what today we might call the branch of jesse and we'll sing these words "O come Thou rod of jesse free thine own your own people, from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. Jesus is a warrior who comes to win a victory over death. Jesus is a mighty warrior who comes to battle against tyrants, to battle against God's enemy and ours, Satan, a Hebrew word that means adversary, accuser to put down once and for all every accusation that could stick against any of God's people. Jesus comes as a warrior. No wonder we sing, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. Think also of O Holy Night. Now, for you, this, this, this may not sound like a battle cry song. Um, verse three starts like this, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Well, if his gospel is peace, then is he a warrior? But listen to the way that verse ends. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Breaking chains, putting an end to oppression, Jesus is a warrior. He's coming to fight, to do all of those things, to, to save us from death, to fight against Satan's tyranny, to put an end to all oppression, to break every chain. Jesus is a warrior. Why did Jesus come? He came. We're about to hear from Mark's gospel, a passage that you might not associate with Christmas time. It reminds us that Jesus came to fight for us. Tom Brinks is going to read for us our scripture passage today. Today's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord God, would you help us to hear your good news to us today? Some of us in this room have heard this good news before, and we have embraced it. We have said we want to trust Jesus with all that we are but we aren't faithful and consistent in doing that. So help us today to renew that commitment of faith in Jesus. Some of us have never heard this before, or if we've heard it, we've misunderstood it. Bring us to a new hearing today of good news about Jesus and cause us to embrace faith in Christ for the first time ever. Wherever we are on that spectrum, Lord, would you help us to hear good news today about your Son? We pray in his name, amen. So would you be willing to fight anybody over Christmas carols while we're talking about divine warfare? Um, there's an author named Blair Thornburg, uh, creative writer, she's a, an English professor. At the moment I saw the headline of this uh, article that she has online, I thought, i got to read this. The only Christmas carols that are any good, a definitive and absolute list, fight me. Um, Now, she starts out being honest about this. She says, you know, I hate garbage carols. I hate the ones about Santa and sugar plums and nestling in the bed. I just, anything that's sappy and sentimental, she has no time for it. the article goes on, she says this. This is the only mainstream Christmas carol that mentions Satan. This is metal as heck. Okay, so two references that need clarification there. What what does that last phrase mean, this is metal as heck? Um, If you need me to explain it, you probably won't get it. but if, if, like me, there was a phase when you were a big fan of hard rock and heavy metal, then, yeah, you, you get it. Lots of references to the devil and hell in heavy metal music. So she's making a comparison, right? Uh, a Christmas carol that mentions Satan? She's referring to God Rest you Merry Gentlemen. Again, maybe not a song that you would initially associate with warfare. But listen, this is verse 1. God rest you merry, gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. So far, so good, right? Happy, upbeat, celebrating Christmas. To save us all from Satan's power. When we were gone astray, oh, tidings of comfort and joy. No wonder it's about comfort and joy. Jesus is a warrior who's coming to save us from Satan's power. This divine warrior theme runs throughout the songs that we sing at this time of year. Why? Because the scriptures say repeatedly that Jesus came to fight for us. What was he fighting? What was he fighting against? And, and how do we know if he won? I want to answer those questions, but we've got to start in another place. The first question is this. How do we know how do we know that Jesus was fighting for us? How do we know that one of the reasons he was born on Christmas Day was to, was to fight to rescue us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray? We'll start with the details of what Mark tells us about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. How do we know that Jesus? came to fight for us? Well, we know it this way. Jesus is in the wilderness. Mark tells us this, that after Jesus was baptized, then the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Now, for you and me, wilderness sounds like a place you go for a retreat. It's a place where you go to get the fresh air, to hear the bubbling brook, uh, to see the crystal clear water, maybe to fish for the mountain trout. It's the place you go to get away from it all and recover. But that's you and me thinking like modern city dwellers. Think like a first century Israelite reading this text. The wilderness is a place where people go to die. It is a place that is hostile to human life. This is, this is a Palestinian wilderness. There are no bubbling brooks. There are no crystal clear streams. Water is hard to find. Food is impossible to locate. And you're surrounded, Mark tells us, doesn't he, by wild beasts. He was with the wild animals. This is the place where wild animals thrive, but humans don't in the Scriptures. The place where human life flourishes is a garden. It's how the Scriptures open. And it's when Adam and Eve say, God, we will not bow to you, that they are expelled from garden into wilderness. Wilderness is the place you go to fight, to scratch out survival. It is a place of curse, not of blessing. What is Jesus doing in that place? Well, Mark tells us that he is being tempted by Satan. He is battling against an enemy who wants him to fail. Now, you may be asking the question, are are we sure that Satan is real? Um, Christians have one very strong reason to believe that Satan is real, and it's the fact that Jesus so often spoke of Satan as a real enemy of God and his people. Now, Scripture never speaks of Satan as this caricature cartoon uh, figure, but as a subtle deceiver who mingles just enough truth with every lie to make it seem very appealing. Um, I read a lot of weird stuff. I'll just go ahead and tell you that. So I was browsing this Satanist website <laughs> because because recently there was a, a, a competition to write a Satanist. A Satanist Christmas Carol. Now, you need to know that most Satanists don't believe Satan is real. Uh, Satanism, as, uh, as it's practiced in the modern West, is all about humanism. It's, it's, it's confidence in humanity, not in the existence of anyone or anything supernatural. And so one of the entries in this uh, carol contest is called Arbitrary Night. Arbitrary night, it will be what we make it. Like every other night, we refuse to be blind. A glorious chorus from centuries before us of scientists and scholars comes forward to implore us, stand on your feet. You need to bow to no one. Now, this is set to the tune of O Holy Night. So, at the part of that song where we'd be singing, fall on your knees and hear the angel voices. This song proposes that we would sing, stand on your feet, don't bow to anyone. And this is written by a group of people who would say, Satan isn't real. And, and yet this is, this, this is perfectly capturing what Satan does in the scriptures, to wrap a lie up in just enough truth to make it seem appealing. The truth here, hey, human agency is important. This world will be what we make of it under God's reign and rule. We are created in His image. That that is true. It is a good thing to refuse to be blind and ignorant. That is true. Scientists and scholars do important work. That is true. Stand on your feet. You need to bow to no one. There's the lie. Now, it's a self-defeating lie, right? If I really believe this, then why should I accept the perspective of the people who wrote this song? Why should I bow to them when they tell me not to bow to anyone? thing about Satan's lies is he doesn't want you to poke too hard on them because you'll start to see that they're incoherent. But that lie that says we don't need to bow to anyone, that is the lie of God's enemy. That is the battle Jesus is fighting in the wilderness. He is fighting against the consequences that happened when you and I say that to God. God, we will not bow to you. When Adam and Eve say that to God in the Garden of Eden, they are expelled into the wilderness and the whole of this planet comes under a curse. Jesus is the second Adam. He is doing battle in the wilderness with Satan, the accuser, to overturn the consequences of every time that you and I say, God, it would be better if you would bow to me. It would be better, Lord, if you would submit your plans to my desires. It would be better, Lord, for me and for the world and and for everyone if I didn't bow to you, but you bowed to me. Jesus is doing battle in the wilderness. You could make one argument to say, no, Jimmy, you're wrong. Jesus is not doing battle. He's got it kind of easy because doesn't the text tell us that as he's out in the wilderness being tempted by Satan for 40 days and he's with the wild animals, the angels were taking care of him? Jesus is the son of God. He's, you know, this high-ranking cosmic figure. He's... He's got these angels waiting on him hand and foot. He's not really fighting, is he? I once had a student who opposed the, the brutality of his government where he lived. He was arrested along with his wife. And um, as they were in prison, they somehow got access to a Bible and began to read it. They both became believers in Jesus while in prison, but by the time they were released, they were in such poor health physically and psychologically that they needed a place to be renewed and refreshed. So they joined the U.S. Army to go to boot camp because at least there you get three meals a day and good health care. Now, your life in prison has to be pretty bad when you decide that boot camp is a place to rest and recover your strength, right? That's the way we ought to be thinking about this detail in the text. The fact that Jesus is being cared for by angels is not proof that he has it easy. It's proof that he is fighting a fight so desperate that he needs supernatural care. Not from one angel, but many. You gotta be at a pretty low place as the son of God. If the only way you can hang on and survive in the wilderness is through the care of heavenly doctors. (laughs) Jesus is fighting a battle for us. He is fighting to destroy everything that is hostile to human flourishing. He is fighting to win where the entire human race has failed. Well, what was he fighting? I have good news for you today. Jesus was fighting against loneliness and despair. And you might say, look, this is two short sentences in the Gospel of Mark. It doesn't say anything about loneliness and despair. Well, okay, we could imply loneliness. He's out in the wilderness by himself. But, well, here's the thing. If you're familiar with the Scriptures of the Old Testament, you would know this is not the first time that one of God's servants has been in the wilderness receiving angelic care. 1 Kings chapter 19 would certainly come to mind for an Old Testament reader hearing this story. Remembering the time when Elijah had been threatened by a powerful queen, the queen said, you're you're not going to live to see the end of this month. I'm going to take your life. Elijah flees to the wilderness. And as you read the text, he is in absolute despair. He feels like God has abandoned him. God has forgotten him. He says, God, I'm the only one left. There's nobody else who's faithful to you. I am the only one, and I am done. I've had it. I just want to die. I've served you as faithfully as I know how, and the reward I seem to get for serving you faithfully is people want to take my life. So would you go ahead and end it for me, God? Don't, don't give that queen a chance to kill me. I want to die right here on the spot. And God sends an angel to care for Elijah. Jesus is in the wilderness. When the angels show up to care for him, it's a reminder he is at the end of his rope. He senses that God has abandoned him, that the Spirit is the one who drove him out into the wilderness in the first place, that sense of loneliness, that sense of, God, the more faithful I am to you, the harder my life seems to get. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that you're just done? That you can't do it anymore and you're ready for it all to be over? Well, here's the way we normally are told to fight against that kind of despair. Suck it up. Stiff upper lip. That's a good chap. You know, Just keep going. Pretend it's not real. Suck it up. Or stay busy. Just stay so busy, constantly going, 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 that you don't have time to think about how weary your bones are. Here's the promise of the gospel. The answer to loneliness and despair is not sucking it up and it's not staying busy. It is, it is God sending someone into this world to fight for us. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. Verse 3 goes like this. Come to earth to taste our Sadness. He whose glories knew no end. By his life, he brings us gladness. Jesus came to fight so that sadness is not the last line we will hear sung. Jesus came to fight so that loneliness and despair will not have the last word in your life or in the life of anyone who puts their trust in him. Jesus came to fight so that no matter how loud the voice of despair shouts at you, a louder song of joy will one day fill the universe in the end. We sing it all the time, joy to the world, verse three. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Jesus is a divine warrior. He comes to fight so that everywhere something has gone wrong in our world, in the end, it will be made right. And where that something is called loneliness, in the end, it will be made right. Where that something is called despair, in the end, it will be made right. There is someone in this universe who loves you enough to come and fight for you. And maybe right now, you just need to sit and weep a minute. And you need to say, that's good news. That is good news. To know that I'm not alone. when I feel like I've had enough and I can't take any more, and I just want it all to end. I am not alone. And that is not the last song I will hear because my trust is the one who came to fight for me. Jesus came to fight for you, He came to fight against loneliness and despair, and He came to fight. This is more obvious from the surface reading of the text. He came to fight against temptation. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. Now, kind of a quick response to that is to say, nah, that can't be real. Jesus is the Son of God. He couldn't really be tempted, could he? C.S. Lewis helps us out here. He says, a silly idea is current that good people don't know what temptation means. Hey, Jesus is the best person ever, so how could he really know what temptation is? He's not like me. Jesus doesn't get confused about good and evil. See, temptation is what happens in your heart and mind when, when we're pulled toward this desire at a moment that, that we're confused about good and evil. The confusion that says, let me choose the thing that god says is evil because in the end that will be better for me or someone else or let me avoid the thing that god says is good because in the end if i choose what god says is good that will be worse that that's the lie of temptation right it's it's flipping good and evil and that pull we feel in that moment of tension well jesus never got confused like that so he doesn't know anything about temptation, does he? C.S. Lewis says, this is a lie. This is an absolute lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply doesn't know what it would have been like an hour later. Lewis goes on to say, this about Jesus Christ because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation he is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation really means so this sense that because Jesus was so good and because he was you know this all-powerful son of God that he could just brush off temptation no big deal not true He's the only one who knows how hard it is to continually fight against temptation, not just for five minutes or for one hour, but every day, one's entire life. He knows what it's like to hear that whisper in his heart saying there is no point fighting and resisting because you might have succeeded this time, but next time you will fail. That is the power of temptation. It tells us this pull is so strong, nobody can resist it. So maybe you fought it once, but next time, you're mine. Jesus has heard that voice. You've heard it. Why resist? Why fight against temptation? Why why not just do what I please? Why try to do what pleases God? Because even if I get it right once, I'll fail next time. Or, or you know what I often do is I fight and I fight and I fight and then I give in in the end. Well, of course, too weak. Nobody can resist. Sometimes we don't fight at all. And that lie of Satan is going to whisper and say, yes, don't fight. Why bother? Nobody can resist. That's not the song that Scripture sings. I never heard this song. We got a Christmas card from friends, thanks, Estock family, that quoted from this uh, hymn called Break Forth, O Beauteous, Heavenly Light. Never heard it before. Have no idea how to sing it, so I'll spare you. The first verse says, Hear the angel's warning. What? Why would the angels warn us that Jesus is about to be born? It's not an angel's warning. They're they're singing, right? No, this song says, listen to the angels. They are singing a warning. A divine warrior is about to be born into this world, and he's going to break some satanic power. Hear the angel's warning, this child now weak in infancy, our confidence and joy shall be the power of Satan breaking our peace eternal making. Hell, hear the angel's warning. Jesus is a warrior who is about to break your power. And he is about to restore confidence and joy to his people so that when the devil says, don't fight temptation, nobody can resist. Jesus says that's a lie. I've looked straight on into the worst the devil has to offer, and I resisted, not just for 40 days, but every day. Jesus came to fight against temptation so that you and I can fight, and not in the way that we so often think we should. Jesus never says to anyone, fight harder so that I will love you. He says, I love you, I fought for you, now fight. That's good news. Jesus came to fight for us. How do we know if he won? That's a pretty important question. Mark doesn't say The last we hear, Jesus is out in the wilderness. The angels were ministering to him. And then the next verse says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee. What? (laughs) Tell us how it ended, please. Did Jesus win this fight against temptation, against despair and loneliness, against all the curse that human sin brings into God's good world? How do we know if he won? Well, it could be that it's so obvious Mark just doesn't need to say it, right? Or it could be that the wilderness was just the beginning of the fight and that Jesus continued fighting until the very end by going to the depths of despair and sorrow and suffering at his crucifixion. It could be that the way warfare works under King Jesus is that we know he won because in the end he bowed the lowest. Remember, our hearts are going to sing this humanistic song that says, don't bow to anyone. Stand on your feet. Bow to no one. But in the end, Jesus bows. And in the end, because he did that, we're not alone. What child is this? Verse 2. Why lies he in such mean estate? where ox and ass are feeding. The Christians fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. Nails, spears shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail the Word made flesh. The Babe, the Son of Mary. Jesus is a warrior. Warriors carry spears into battle. Roman soldiers carry hammers and nails to crucify criminals. Jesus is a warrior who comes to bow before well Jesus is God who comes to bow before God where we refuse to bow Jesus fights to bow for us the cross was born for me for you Listen, listen to the music that's around you. Listen to songs that are singing about Jesus as a warrior who's come to fight a battle. Listen to the good news that Jesus came to do all of this for me, for you. Listen, listen to the song that in the end will overcome every other song. And in the end, we will all sing joy to the world. The Lord, the Lord has come to fight for us. Let's give thanks. Lord Jesus, this is better news than we deserve, better news than we can comprehend. Give us new ears to hear. And give us hearts ready to embrace everything that you say to us from the scriptures. Everything you say to us. And all that you have done. And all that you are. Cause us to trust in you. Never in ourselves. Make us ready, Lord Jesus, always to bow to you. We pray in your name. Amen.